Thought we were ready. <laughs> <laughs> Already going off the rails. Yes. Quality podcast. Only the best here. <laughs> I mean, I thought we were doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the RPG Pot Top Podcast. I'm Inigo Montoya. Prepare for Tyler. Hi, everybody. And Ash. You stole my joke. I don't <laughs> like it. I, I hate you. <laughs> I was going to do the same joke. Oh, man. I wonder why. Like, why did we have the same thought at the same time? I don't time? know, but I guess great minds think alike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tyler, what is happening? Well, today we're going to talk about role-playing during combat. So this is something that I struggle with personally, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there who have the same problem. Basically, initiative is rolled, swords come out, spells start getting being cast, and everyone immediately forgets the uh, you know the play-acting part of the game, the part where we're not just chess pieces moving around on a grid. So we're going to try and offer some advice tonight on how people can lean more into the the play-acting aspect of role-playing during combat without taking away from the like fun, crunchy, tactical combat parts. Yeah, I think this is really hard for me because I feel like it's hard to balance... Like having fun, making the time useful, advancing the game, and also like not wanting to take the spotlight. Uh, and so I think we're going to talk about some things here that are probably going to help like balance that. How can players run this better? How can DMs handle this better? Let's start by you know elaborating on the problem just a little bit more. You presumably have played some Dungeons and Dragons, some other RPG. Most of most of many of those games involve fighting things. So. You know, you're in combat from time to time, and I'm sure you've had a situation where it's like, okay, my character is dwarf fighter. Uh, I am fighting goblin. Dwarf fighter attacks goblin with axe. Roll the hit. If you hit, damage. If you miss, sadness. And that is the end of your turn. And it's basically just a number crunching game. Like we we have devolved to hit point attrition, shin kicking throwing dice at each other until one side decides to go home or lie down it can be a lot of fun very quickly but as those things drag out as you do those things over and over again it's like ah great another one of these i think that um this is an issue that a lot of dms and players run into and it's not one that has an easy solution because it's sort of like how do i balance the role play and descriptive aspects of it without making combat last an eternity because if you're describing every scene that combat is gonna go so long and uh we touched on this a bit i think with alex in our description episodes definitely go check that out but alex's advice which i think is good is that if you want to make combat more dynamic in terms of role play and description don't describe every every blow and and pirouette and stuff pick your moments pick dramatic moments that feel like they have some weight like a crit or some something that changes the tide of battle and you don't have to always just think of blows hitting a certain part of a body it could just be that a blow wins a person or makes them take a foot step back and puts them in a vulnerable position or maybe they move use the dynamism of the battlefield to your advantage and i think a lot of this problem might also be assuaged by not putting all of the onus on the dm having players describe a little bit of their of their action definitely helps and uh keeps players engaged other than like okay i roll a uh 15 does that hit i do six damage <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about some things which people you know your mind might immediately jump to to solve these problems because you know there there are plenty of other places offering similar advice to solve similar problems so let's hit some things that in my opinion at least will not solve these problems for you and the first thing i'm gonna hit theater of the mind now i i have seen 
so many people say like, oh, yeah, if your combat's too crunchy and people aren't role playing during combat, stop using the grid. Use theater of the mind. I don't think that's the like panacea that people think it is like the grid isn't the problem. The problem is people aren't role playing during combat. The grid is a distraction. There's nothing about having a token on the board that prevents you from play acting. Yeah, no, no, I think that that's perfectly right. I, I, I want to even make that a little more abstract. More mechanics, more mechanics don't mean less role play and more role play doesn't mean viewer mechanics. And I think a lot of times view it as this false dichotomy of like, well, I either have to lean into one or the other. And therefore the idea of, well, if I'm going to theater of the mind, I'm reducing the amount of mechanical complexity. Really what you're doing is you're ruining the fun for the martial characters. Go listen to that episode too. <laughs> All you're doing is removing a mechanic and then potentially not adding anything back in. So I think what Tyler says is exactly right. Like you have to actively force the engagement on the role-playing side, regardless of whether there's a board there. And I'll even argue with the board down, you might have an easier time articulating your role play of, okay, you know, and, and then I do this and I handle this and, you know, oh, I see that there's a desk, so I'll hide behind the desk. Like using that to motivate what we're going to do, I think is a lot more interesting than having like a vague void in my mind and saying like, I hide behind a desk. Everybody else in there is like, I, I didn't know there was a desk in this room. <laughs> like, I, I, I thought this was a chapel. What is there a desk doing there? Yeah, I think there's a fallacy when people are talking about how uh, theater of the mind is superior in terms of role play than uh, grid because people are like, oh, well, since people can't see the map, you have to describe it and stuff like that, which one just puts more more onus on the DM to describe stuff uh, and doesn't really put as much onus on the players uh, because they're not thinking technically. They're basically thinking on what the space is that you give them. I think that the answer is, is that either the grid or the theater of the mind can encourage role play and they cannot. So don't think that one is superior than the other. It's just is what works best for your group. If you find your group works better with theater of role plays better with your mind. Great. I personally find my players engage with role play in combat when it is a really well-designed map. Like me just drawing doodles and stuff is fine. But usually in my online games, I have like these, I'm not an artist, so I have these really cool designed maps that I find. For instance, recently I had a big final boss battle with this woman in an ice palace, and it was a gorgeous map. And uh, people were really interacting with the different levels and the different parts. Like like Randall said, you know, finding a place that they could hide and get an advantage and really interacting with the space, which I think wouldn't have been as dynamic if I was just describing it. So it just kind of depends on your group, I would say. Yeah, Ash, I want to ask, uh, did the cold never bother her anyway? Yep. <laughs> we, you did that joke again uh, uh, previously. <laughs> yes, she was an Elsa-inspired ice witch. I mean, she wasn't like Elsa from Frozen. I guess she was more like the the the, snow the Hans Christian Elsa. Anderson. Yeah, the Snow Queen that <laughs> Elsa was supposed to be. Okay, <laughs> the the aspirational Snow Queen. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and. There's one thing that what you said really made me think it could be the case that if you have a group that loves role play and especially if like if it's a group you like to watch, let's say you have a favorite podcast, you're listening to them do role play. You're observing that it doesn't sound like they're using a grid because you're listening to an audio medium. So what do you know? Maybe you're tuning into Twitch and you're seeing like, yeah, they're not using a grid in Twitch and they role play and I want to role play like them. So I don't want a grid. And I would say there that group is really embracing the role play aspect. A lot of times they're doing this for entertainment and that's one way to play the game, but it isn't the only way to play the game and it isn't the only way to play the game and have great role play. Uh, so hopefully through the conversation tonight, we'll drive at some of the solutions to this. Yeah. And just to add on to that real quick, like the reason why podcast like actual plays tend to lean more into the, you know, theater of the mind stuff is because people can't see the grid. So they kind of have to do that. And so you're like, oh, the role play here is really good. Uh, it's because they're using theater of the mind. No, they're trained actors or professionals who are trying to make an entertainment value out of it. And because podcasting is not a visual medium, they are working with what they have. Hell, Critical Role uses a visual medium and they role play really well too. So again, 
just goes down to what works best for your group. Don't think that one system is better. Yeah. And of course you shouldn't hold yourself to the same, like no. you shouldn't hold yourself to the same answer as people who are doing this performatively. Like if you're not recording a podcast or a stream or whatever, you don't have to worry about an audience. You don't have to play to an audience except, you know, the other people at the table. DMs, you are not Matt Mercer. I don't care how good you are. You're not Matt Mercer. And players, you're just not going to be Travis. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Unless, of course, your names are Matt Mercer and Travis, in which case. Which wild. (laughs) Coincidence. Uh, Tweet at us at (laughs) rbgbot.net. Hey, so uh, how do we feel about shouting the names of our attacks in combat? Absolutely, obviously. Like that's I mean, secure. obviously, if we're going to anime, Windblade! <laughs> You're level one fighter. <laughs> Attack! Sword swing uppercut! Ah! <laughs> oh, man. And you missed. Uh, how long do you think a person could reasonably do that without getting bored of it, like at the table? Oh, it would be, people get. I don't know if the person would get bored of it, but the people around them sure would get sick of it. I swear <laughs> to God, if you say Eldritch Blast like that again one more time, I'm going to murder you. You broke out my earphones. <laughs> Although like, I will say, when Travis's character Ford on Critical Role said Eldritch Blast, every time it was great. He go Eldritch <laughs> Blast. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I feel like it could work. Like. Uh, your typical home game you could probably get away with it for a one shot and it would be a great running in joke but like session two you'd be like okay we get it session three you'd be like please stop just... <laughs> yeah we, we can't do this once a week on you. please yeah <laughs> all right what if what if to make role-playing good in combat what if we just made everyone play wizards stop it <laughs> do, you, do you think wizards are role playing? I sure am. He's it's just his wizard bias. He's like wizards are the only ones who matter in combat, which is what he said last episode. And now it's wizards are the only ones that can role play. <laughs> what well, it's it is interesting, right? Because we're we we almost confuse the fact that like there's more buttons to push with like that's role playing, like <laughs> mechanically. What's really happening? You have a spell attack, or you have uh, a spell save DC. And you're choosing lots of different flavors of D6s and D8s. Yeah. Like, is, it, is that not is that not what role-playing is? Like, ooh, this one's got D8s, this one's I, got D10s. I named this one Fireball, <laughs> and I named this one's Agonizer Sculpture. And they're, they're, they're different. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say the thing that wizards and spellcasters have working for them is they have a lot of ways that they can describe their actions. Uh, uh, you have the different kinds of spells. Yes, there are different flavors of D6s, but they are, all look different. And even within that, you can also flavor it different. Like maybe my fireball is a cannon that's mounted to my shoulder that comes out and blasts a missile. That's super cool. Um, you can also really a good if you're stumped for ideas on describing a good thing that I do as a player is I look at the spell components of the spell and be like, hmm, bat guano. How do I use this? <laughs> um, yeah, the wizard pulls a bat out in combat, shakes it above his head. Yeah, I mean, for <laughs> to bring up critical role again, a good way, uh, a good. Uh, Example of how to use this is Caleb does this all the time when he's casting a spell. He doesn't do it all the time. Like every time he casts the same spell, he basically does it the first time he casts a spell that the group has never seen before, Um, which I think is a good way to do it and not annoy your group. It's like, oh, God, get it. You're pulling out black guano again. Just get to it already. (laughs) Um but uh, I think you can do the same thing with martial characters. People are just like, how do you make a swinging a sword exciting? You can. You can even describe, like, there are ways that you can flavor uh, martial characters' uh, abilities to be really cool. Like, for example, a wild magic barbarian. Maybe the way he goes into a rage, he doesn't get angry. He pops a potion, and it causes his body to start to morph and shoot all of this arcane energy off of him and stuff like that. That's just some ideas. Like that, that's really cool. Yeah, and and I think it's it's probably worth saying right here, right now. Like you've got, you brought up a great example of a player for role play reason only can add flavor. Mm-hmm. As a DM or GM, if you appreciate that flavor and you want to continue seeing it, do not mechanically ruin it. 
<laughs> to go, oh, you pop a potion. How many of those potions do you have? Uh, uh, proficiency I bonus. Them a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They appear in my pockets when I wake up in the morning. I yeah. don't know. A small well, rabbit uh, carries to them. Just <laughs> let players do the, the cool thing. Rule of cool. <laughs> we could do a whole episode on rule of cool, I think. But <laughs> so also, don't be a jerk. That's the name of the episode. Counter to that as well, uh, to add on, not counter, but to add on to what Randall said. Don't yes, just. And. Yes, and not yes, no, uh, but uh, yes, and uh, don't just not punish people for doing cool flavor, reward it. If you like what they're doing, give them inspiration so that you can encourage people to continue to do that. People are like, I don't know how to make my players describe their actions. That's what inspiration is for. <laughs> Meta currency is literally the like, I like this button for the DM. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in 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 PF two for hero points, which is kind of the equivalent meta currency. I, I know there's there's rules if you're doing something like Pathfinder Society, but if you're just playing a table game, you can give out hero points anytime you want, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. perfect. Use them. Use your meta currencies to encourage behavior you like. That's literally why the game designer gave it to you. Uh, as someone who's ignorant of Pathfinder two, can you briefly explain to me what hero points are? Uh, it is the same as inspiration, except for you can use it after you roll. Cool. Awesome. And you can have as many as you want, except they go away at the end of the session. Awesome. Awesome. I like that. It's actually pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the the use is, the use is mostly the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) See the meta currencies episode. Perfect. So we should hop into like things that DMs and GMs can do to make this better. Uh, but first... We should have this ad break. So let's talk about, well, before we get to players, let's talk about DMs and GMs, because as the person, at least nominally running the game, you have a really big role to play here. I'm not going to say that this is all on the DM or GM, because it objectively isn't. I mean, it, yeah. You got to set the tone. You got to set the tone. Yeah, it's it's very much a lead by example thing. Like you want to show players both how you want it to be done and that you want it to be done. Like if you're not engaging in this part of the game, your players won't. I, I think that's right. Another thing, this is a great conversation to have in session zero. And if you've been playing with people for a long time and so you don't feel like you need a session zero, asking that question when you go to start something new up or when you're starting a new arc Hey, folks, I notice we don't do this a lot. Do we all wish we would? If everybody says yes, great. If everybody's like, no, I don't do that on purpose, <laughs> you know, come to terms. But that way, everybody's on the same page. And so you can start those conversations at the end of each session of I really liked it when you did A, B and C. Uh, encouraging, you know, we talked about before the idea of players handing out the meta currency instead of the DM or GM. Again, that's a great way to get people to explicitly say, I like what you did there. And here's this thing. Yeah. Uh, so so let's talk about some ways that the DM or GM can kind of, you know, start engaging with this part of the game. Like, how can we as DMs role play during combat? So I'm, I'm going to steal something clumsily from video games. And Ash, you've got much more expertise here. So please tell me where I'm getting this wrong. Mm. But th- there's this thing called barks, like barks like a dog. Oh, so oh, it's... Oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like you as the GM, every every like 30 seconds of in-game time, one of the NPCs just barks. For an example, see Skyrim, it's uh, never should have come here, or Skyrim belongs to the Norns! <laughs> <laughs> the classic. <laughs> the classics. How many times have you heard that line? <laughs> yeah, or just grunts, you know. Uh, ooh, uh, uh, ooh, ah, 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 that's a bark. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, those all like you could have fooled me. Those could have been in the game. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, like I I actually read like six articles about these today trying to get my head around what they are. But my understanding of the basic concept is these are lines thrown into the game for like generic NPCs, like all of the background characters for them to use to make the world feel lived in and to make it feel like these are intelligent beings rather than just like that's a bunch of pixels over there with a gun pointed in my direction. So 
yeah, those lines like never should have come here. Like that's that's somebody telling you like I'm about to inflict violence on you because you are very much in the wrong place. Uh, all I will say is don't do if you're going to do this, don't go the Skyrim or Elder Scrolls method in general, because on the 400th time of someone saying you will suffer greatly, it's not going <laughs> to people aren't going to. It's a meme for a reason. There's a there's also a reason why the biggest meme in Skyrim is no sign of him. <laughs> <laughs> or the arrow to the knee thing oh, like, that, oh, that, that's not a bark that's just adventure. random ai noise like uh i am sworn to carry your burden oh god yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> so like all, all those kind of lines like they they serve a purpose in the game like they tell you they're in combat they tell you there's an enemy coming and they are somewhere especially if you're using some kind of speaker setup that you can hear directional audio so you can be like oh i hear, i feel like there's someone yelling at me from my left i'm going to turn to my left and fusrada whatever is standing there <laughs> oh no it's my companion <laughs> off uh, the cliff just just oh yep <laughs> poor and then lydia. yeah the poor lydia who is sworn <laughs> to carry your burdens <laughs> like down this mountain so yeah so those lines are great because like uh if enemies are yelling at the players in combat it tells the players like oh these folks mean business or like it might tell them okay what is this what is this npc's primary language and like what is their disposition in combat like if they're just screaming bloody murder and running at you that's a very different thing from like uh, if they if they name drop some nobility or something who they serve, it's like, oh, OK, one of these is a barbarian. One of these might be uh, somebody I care about. Or if you're breaking into a tower and, you know, one of the guards is, you know, call the other or something like this. Like now you're mm-hmm. adding urgency to the situation and you understand either they're not alone or they're bluffing. And both of those things are interesting. <laughs> yes, totally agree. When you're also also a thing to keep in mind when you're doing barks, barks don't have to necessarily be limited to talking NPCs. They can be um, monsters too. Not everybody can do monster noises, but if you can, just <laughs> lean into it. Is, you know, like some sort oh, of philosopher or something just dying. <laughs> um, but if you can't just describe, but if you can't just describe the the raptor is you stab the raptor and it lets out a blood curdling screech as it falls to the ground and it echoes <laughs> through the forest or something like that. Don't think you just have to make humanoids dynamic. You also kind of have to make monsters dynamic too. It's not going to yeah. be fun if the if the epic fight with the dragon feels like, do you hit? No. Do you hit? Damage, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you can also use barks to convey like the state and thinking of your antagonists you know wolves on the hunt will howl and you know they'll they'll yelp and whine as they run away um npcs might shout like instructions to each other they might say like oh yeah uh go for the wizard because it's a wizard or they might you know shout for a retreat or like hey i need help over here or things like that like all of the table talk that your players are doing where they're offering each other like tactical advice or they're discussing like hey what do we want to do over the next couple of turns to not die here like the npcs should be doing the same thing as much as they can cut him off at the pass boys (laughs) (laughs) geek the mage first shadowrun had it right (laughs) so there's and there's also a question of like how frequently we should do this because we want it to we want it to feel meaningful and like we want it to feel good without becoming annoying like that never should have come here line of like again how many times have you heard that shouted at you in skyrim oh my goodness like get two or three other lines bandits yeah and they all sound the same like their voices are always the mm-hmm. same skyrim <laughs> belongs to the north it's like you're not a nord <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's just scrolls. a declarative fact what do you want yeah <laughs> uh, elder scrolls why are you so buggy <laughs> <laughs> so my thinking just as um uh, as a general guideline 
like figure out about how much each of your players is talking during combat and then just try and try and take up as much time as like two players because then it's more than an individual player but it's not so much that you're like half of the talking is you and the other half of the talking is the rest of the party that that feels like a good kind of educated guess in my opinion yeah i think another piece of this is having a good idea of like how how long is this combat meant to go is this something that they're going to wrap up and around you know spending 10 percent of the total time that you spend in combat because the player characters are just going to kill this thing giving this one guard lines probably isn't as impactful as letting everything move on and so maybe here like a simple grunt or something like this matters um vice versa if this is actually a meaningful encounter and success or failure are going to have impact on the story i think giving the combat more meaning giving these lines that that person may be saying is ultimately going to make it stick in the characters minds more so that they understand the repercussions of how the fight goes that being said barks are just one tool granted a very effective tool in the dm's toolbox another thing that you want to keep in mind is like trash talk and like just engage have the npcs engage with your players especially if they're intelligent and conniving or maybe even the big bad you know there's always this like i want to i have this villain motive monologue that i want to give but i don't want to take agency away from players just give it during (laughs) just give it during the fight like it can just like don't spit take take an entire round just giving the whole monologue because that's bad but basically like you can splice in parts of what you had prepared through the round is that uh, like what they do in um a good example of this honestly is uh princess bride uh which we made a joke of at the top of the episode there's this whole scene fight scene between uh the dread pirate roberts and Inigo montoya where they're taking turns fighting and in between blows they're actually expositing at each other and we get information <laughs> about both of them through this dynamic combat and it's actually quite engaging so feel free to do that and um another great example of Which this is also like, they actually take a break from fighting sit down and talk for a while and then they stand back and continue fighting <laughs> yeah don't do that i mean if you, if it makes sense you can do that but like <laughs> just talk during combat but like uh keith Amon uh in his books on the monsters know what they're doing uh one of the things he calls out is especially devils who are gonna be doing this a lot if you have devils especially intelligent conniving devils if they're winning they're gonna be trying to force the people into submission by telling trying to encourage them that the situation is hopeless and they should kneel and bow down to them if they're <laughs> losing they're gonna try to persuade the players that hey maybe let's let's cut a deal or something like that and if they're not good at persuasion maybe they'll try to deceive the players into thinking hey uh, I have backup on the way, or this is you think that you're winning, but you're not. Sort of situation. Uh, play characters at, at the top of their intelligence. Uh, use conversation and role play for NPCs. Like most people who have survival instincts aren't going to fight to the death. If they're not undead or constructs, they're probably not going to fight to the death. And the way that humans and other intelligent creatures get people to stop fighting them is distraction persuasion or intimidation that's how you get out of a situation alive and if they can't do either of those they disengage and run if you need an easy tip for your devil just offer them some warlock levels there you go perfect (laughs) did not mean for that to rhyme but yeah if the devil's losing say hey spare me i'll give you some warlock levels if the devil's winning say hey surrender and i'll give you some warlock levels (laughs) yeah perfect (laughs) very different connotation yeah same result Mm mm-hmm be my be my uh, business partner or be my unwilling servant <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you can also like look for just look for other things that are appropriate for a given creature to say in combat like cannibalistic creatures maybe like ah this is gonna be great i'm gonna eat you later goblins might just you know talk trash uh the the famous keep on the borderlands adventure which was i think first edition and has been reprinted so many times there's a little detail in the game where the local village that you start out in doesn't especially care for the party because they're you know adventuring murder hobo ne'er-do-wells so they tell you oh yeah the phrase brie yark in goblin means i surrender and there's a little footnote for the dm that says it does not it means hey idiot 
<laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> for a more recent example, like it, we were talking about Dragonlance uh, recently. The Kender monster in the in that comes with the manual <laughs> man, manual has a feature that it taunts and it gives you ideas for taunts. So if you're using Kender, if you're using them well, they should be taunting all the time. And so they're <laughs> the kings of trash talk during combat. That's all they're doing. <laughs> Oh, we need a DM skilled product that's just like individual monster trash talk options, like D100 for every monster capable oh, of speech. The thing is, <laughs> uh, my friend Matt could probably write that because he's playing a bard right now. And basically every time he does vicious mockery, if it succeeds, he comes up with the most glorious one liners insults <laughs> that I've ever heard. It's great. And he what's also great about it is if he fails, he comes up with a really bad one liner. <laughs> that's like you're <laughs> you're ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So. That's a simple way you can encourage your players. Just be like, hey, what's this vicious... What do you say to make this creature feel bad about itself? And then you can sort of plant that idea of like, um, oh, I don't know. Uh, One of the things I did when I played a warlock was when I casted uh, Hideous Laughter, I would do a horrible dad joke that was related to (laughs) D&D. Perfect. Um, So yeah, you can do stuff like that. (laughs) All right. Uh, So uh, let's see. What are some other good times that we can like sneak some role playing in there as the dm so i think one good example is kind of updating the state of the world so typically at the beginning of combat you lay everything out you describe where things are if you're using a board you set up the board uh but maybe like at the turn of every round right go through make sure every character every npc has a turn picking our heads up at that point and just reestablishing, like okay this situation do these creatures look tired do they look hurt you know, do you hear noises coming in as like reinforcements are coming in? Whatever the situation might be, using that as an opportunity to reset the game world, to give characters a feeling for what they might interact with, things they might have noticed based on passive perception, anything like this, ultimately can lead to further engagement from the players as they go to take their turns. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that fact, but now I'm going to engage with it. Uh, now, when would you time that with like, uh, uh, not legendary, the other word that starts with L and is an action? A layer action? Thank you. Oh my goodness, words are hard. I do this for a living. Uh, (laughs) uh, Layer actions, yes. Uh, Would you do layer actions before or after that? What do you think? Oh, that's interesting. So I I think if the layer action is going to change the scene, you might even use it as part of the role play, right? Like, you know, the uh, 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 cool, calm uh, lies in the cave, and all of a sudden you begin to feel a rumble. Rocks begin to fall from the ceiling. uh, And now, the terrain between you and the BBG is difficult terrain, or, or maybe you don't say it's difficult terrain. Maybe you call out that like it's uh, rocky and craggy and the mere sight of it makes you worried that you'll twist your ankle if you try to move through it. Uh, <laughs> I should write that one down for next Spooktober. Just the, uh, the DM self insert as a lair action rocks fall. Everybody dies. <laughs> don't do that as a lair action. It's a bad idea. Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, it, it can just be called rocks fall, everybody dies, you know, dexterity save uh, for half damage. Fair, like, enough, fair enough, fair enough. But it'll, it'll be a fun joke, you know. Yeah, meta commentary <laughs> jokes are always fun. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, I think another place that you can put in these uh, encourage role play is in checks. Um, maybe, it, and if there's not... If your players aren't doing checks, maybe encourage them to do so. Like maybe describe a spell before you cast it and then have your players check to see what spell is being cast and see if they want to counterspell it, which they probably do because counterspell is broken in 5th edition. Uh, so. <laughs> so, so actually, okay, I, I'm gonna, we're going to go meta for a second. I stuck this in the show notes actually to call out like bad behavior. Uh, something <laughs> I don't like about the rules oh. in 5e or PF2. Yeah. Fair so enough. in 5e... What is your action economy? You get an action, you get a bonus action, you get a reaction. And that's it. All right. I guess you get lots of reactions, but that's that's fine. That's neither here nor there for, <laughs> for this conversation, right? Every check is gonna consume either an action or a reaction. Yeah. And it, I in, 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 yeah, it, I'm gonna finish this ramble, then we'll go through. Okay. PF2, you have your three actions per turn, but things like seek, uh, doing a lore check, which is recall knowledge, doing a, a, you know, in 5e, you would call it an insight check here. It's sense motive, 
which is just a perception check, but it, it has a flavor of sense motive. I want to understand, is this creature frightened of me? Is it intimidated by me? Those are the same thing. Uh, does it want to kill me? Or could I potentially just walk away from this fight, right? All of these things consume an action. If you as a DM or a GM, every time the, the characters are like, you know, oh, I engage with the environment or I, I before I say something, I want to look at this. Um, like, you know, oh, you scoundrel, you know, we'll murder you if you don't run from here. And that's, you You know, OK, make an intimidation check for your action. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to stab it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's why, like, and you don't have to do it th- this way, but I when it comes to stuff like that, that I feel isn't super um, time consuming or is like part of just your presence or just a quick glance or something. There's no reason for it to be an action. Just let it be a free action. Like uh, an Arcana check to check to see what spell is being cast. That's that's a free action. I don't feel like you have to sit there for six seconds studying it. Just be like, hmm. <laughs> if you're knowledgeable without it cast spells, you're going to either recognize it or you're going to not. And if you're a warrior and your mere presence is intimidating, just roll an intimidation check. It doesn't have to be an action. Um uh, at least in fifth edition, uh, I know in Pathfinder it has like actual mechanics. So like when something has like a mechanic like that, like you know the search action or the help action, that makes sense that it should be a check because otherwise people would do it all the time, and there has to be some sort of cost to it. But when it's just getting information or trying to make yourself really be intimidating or just stuff like that, there's absolutely no reason for it to be an action. It's just encouraging role play and your players engaging in the world. And if you make it, if you make that basic stuff cost a thing, they're not going to do it. <laughs> so if, yeah, you want to, if you want to encourage role playing, then make the role playing stuff free. Don't make it cost a thing. I a hundred percent. That's exactly like, that's what I want to talk about is I think folks should be willing to let, uh, you know, free and cheap actions go by without consuming the action mechanically, because otherwise you are mechanically disincentivizing your players mm. from engaging in this role play. A compromise you could do, and I think this works a lot better in PF2. Uh, so PF2 has the idea of critical failure, critical successes. Maybe on a success or failure, you don't you don't make the same consume an action. But on a uh, on a crit failure. Maybe you do say, and actually that burns one of your actions. I like There's that. a little bit of risk. It's not super punishing, but there's still the opportunity. This is actually going to go very badly. I like that. I think that's a good idea. I would be really careful about having like explicit mechanical benefits for any of this. So like if, if you're going to make them make a check to make something happen, like say the fighter decides that they want to use intimidation and perform a war cry or something like ah i'm big and scary you could say like you could narratively say that the uh the enemies respond to that in some way like maybe they alter their tactics in some non-specific fashion but as soon as it's like okay uh you make an intimidation check and everyone runs away i'd say that probably needs to be an action yeah. otherwise yeah you're gonna get into abuse cases like you might even say okay doing something minorly mechanically impactful in 5e you just call that a bonus action and that's a great option for characters that don't have a lot of uses for their bonus action because they'll you know fill their turn with doing something neat instead of just swinging swords yeah and, that, and that's that that's basic principle and then you might be asking like where's the line the answer is there is no mm-hmm. line you kind of have to make a judgment call by yourself just make sure that you're yeah. doing it consistently or your players are going to call you out on it and yeah i think tyler's right the 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 bottom line is avoid things that affect mechanics uh do things for flavor do things for information like even though you could technically say identifying a spell is a mechanical benefit i wouldn't really describe it as that because you're going to cast counter spell other way let's be honest (laughs) um but yeah every opportunity yeah exactly yeah there's I, I actually, I want to push back a little bit. I think even if there's a slight mechanical advantage, it could still be worth engaging this way. Let's step back to how we should be running our monsters. If they are intelligent and they have a sense of self-preservation, then there's a likelihood that if the fight is going poorly, they will run away. So if you as the DM or GM are already looking at this thinking, uh, one or more of these creatures may be running away soon because this fight is not going in their favor, maybe allowing that free action intimidate or persuade or deception to then lead to in the next turn, you know, either they disengage or they step 
and then they flee. I, I don't see that as a big deal because essentially what you're saying is, okay, there was, there was already a chance this was going to happen. And I was thinking about maybe rolling a die behind the screen. You took that, you made a good intimidation check and I'm going to give it to you because you invested in that skill and I'm going to make it rewarding. Now, vice versa, if, if that creature uh, wouldn't preserve its life where the fight is not going poorly yet, yeah, there's no way that's going to pass. Like you can't just walk in every fight and say like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's yeah, not going to work. I, I, I mean, you could say that specific string of syllables. I don't know if it'll get you very far. Yeah, it com- it, it really does come down to like the situation and stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, going back to Keith Almond's book, uh, where he talks about, you know, if the fight is going badly for the players, the devil will intimidate. It's not so much a mechanical thing as sort of how you frame the situation. So he suggests like taking the passive intimidation score of the uh, devil and the uh, passive insight score for pl- the, the highest insight score of your players. And if they fi- if they win, basically you describe the scene in such a way that makes it feel like it is hopeless, even if it may not be. Um, so that is something that you can do if you like, I don't really want to do mechanical benefits, but I also want to have the monster waste its action. That is something you can also do. Mostly just how you frame stuff. And also remember, you should always make talking a free action. Yeah. It feels bad if you're if you're saying like, <laughs> okay, you can talk, but you can only say six words. Then suddenly people are gonna start counting their words and that makes everything <laughs> feel bad. Don't be that DM. That's not fun. Just let people talk to each other during bo- battle, even if it doesn't logically make sense that they would be able to be able to say a full paragraph in six seconds. Just go with it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the only way you're cutting off people from reading passages during combat is if everybody's looking at this saying combat is going too slow at that point. Like, okay, you know, stop writing these scripts before you come. Um, I, I do want to flip it on its head. I do think there are times where you want the role play to be impactful mechanically, and you actually want to consume resources to, to have that impact. Uh, so I want to talk about like combat scenarios that you might engage in. Um, I'm going to enumerate a few things, and then maybe we could talk about a couple of them. Uh, so is there a problem that the PC needs to solve in combat? We have to get this elevator working while also goblins are pouring into the elevator and we're throwing them into the abyss so that, as not to weight it down so we can rise. All right, so now you've almost combined the idea of a skill challenge with the combat. Let's say if I have more than three goblins on the elevator, the elevator won't go up. So what am I doing? I'm chucking goblins, <laughs> right? This can be fun role play. It isn't strictly combat. It isn't strictly mechanical. And there's a lot of good opportunity for description. Another, is there knowledge to be gained? You know, are you fighting the henchman and the henchman knows things? You might, and you kind of have to set this up meta, I think. Like, you know, hey, you know, you know that this creature knows lots of things. I will let you interrogate during the fight. But if the character dies, the knowledge dies with them. This, if this NPC dies, the knowledge dies with them. You folks handle that how you want to. And at this point, I might make those intimidation or persuasion checks cost actions because basically you're making the party decide, am I going to give up resources in the combat? Am I going to burn my action economy to gain that additional knowledge? Or am I going to go for the murder? Or am I going to spend the time to try to do non-lethal combat to actually capture this NPC so we can interrogate them? Yeah, I like those ideas. That all makes sense. Yeah. Introducing scenarios also always makes a, a fight more dynamic. It shouldn't just be two slamming two pieces of meat together. <laughs> give them shin kicking. Yeah, yeah, give them stuff to do around. Maybe yeah, maybe there's a widget or a thing that they can, you know, move or interact with, interact with the environment in some way. Yeah, and and I think probably those are those are the two categories of things, right? Is there something environmental that I need to interact with? And I think that can lead to good engagement. I don't think you can do that all the time, but I think once a session, if you have long sessions, once every other session, this could be a lot of fun. Vice versa, giving the characters a reason to talk to this NPC in the middle of the fight, uh, that's how you get, you know, the Indigo Montoya combat experience, right? Yeah. You know, talking about their sword stances. It's- <laughs> Well, I think we pretty clearly covered how DMs can encourage players and um, set an example for how to role play during combat. But let's talk about what players can do to help the DMs out. Because 
in all honesty, it is, uh, it's totally the player's fault. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> but I mean, there are, there are a bunch of players and there's only one DM. So it shouldn't just come down to the, the DM. Obviously the DM is the arbiter of the world, but maybe help them out a little bit, especially if you see that they're trying hard to make it the fight engaging and complex. There are ways that you can also help as well. Yeah. I mean, similar to how there's that one DM or GM, there's this ad. All right. Players got to play. Oh my God. <laughs> so <laughs> don't read the game. Well, look, I, I wrote it into the show notes. It had to happen. Uh, <laughs> you know, he'll read whatever you put on that teleprompter. That is true. That is true. <laughs> well, so Ash, you were saying, and, and you're totally right. Uh, there are typically four players and one DM. So a lot of the onus for this really does fall on the individual players. And it's it's one of those situations where everyone is responsible, but no one is accountable. So like the worst corporate environment, because it's just like, OK, everyone gets to blame everybody else if it goes wrong. But, you know, you, the intelligent, well-reasoned, well-educated, attractive and admirable player listening to this podcast. Beautiful voice. Don't forget the beautiful voice. Oh, beautiful voice. So nice. Just velvet in the ears. Just, yeah, you are listening to this podcast. (laughs) So the onus falls on you individually. Congratulations. You're wonderful, but you're now also responsible. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this is like smoking the bear all over again. (laughs) I haven't been in the woods in 30 years. You're telling me you want me to prevent this forest fire. (laughs) All right. So, so let's, uh, let's offer some advice. How do players engage in role play during combat? Well, I think again, it goes back to how the DM approaches it. Don't describe every blow. Um, it describe important moments. The first time you cast a spell, uh, or the first time you strike with a new weapon, critical hits are great moments to dramatize, and it doesn't have to be good. It just just try your best, and people will more often than not appreciate the effort. And what's more important is you'll be engaged in the world, and you'll get better at it. So don't feel like you have to come out of the gate with a great description. I know I, as a DM, have been doing this for a number of years, and I'm still pretty bad at it. So uh, <laughs> it's just a muscle you have to flex, as Alex would say uh, in our description episode. It's just something you have to practice. Uh, some people are going to be better at it than others, but that's just because they have done it more. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, uh, we said it again, DMs can help encourage players. Like when you see a player crit, ask them, what does this crit look like? Or when they kill something, how do you kill this thing? You know, the pretty, the pretty uh, uh, famous line from Critical Role, how do you want to do this? It's a great way to get players to describe their actions. And players always, you should think about, like, it's an opportunity for you to give characterization to your character other than just talking how does this character hold themselves in combat are they kind of shying away from combat and like trying to throw magic uh uh, or are they just sort of wading into the thick of things and just swinging their sword like it's a scythe um like all of this stuff really gives character to those people like a person who is more of studious is going to fight different from someone who really likes competitive sports and combat. So just you see it not as an obligation, but as an opportunity to engage you and your players and also learn more about your character because sometimes your characters might surprise even you. Yeah, I think I, I want to add a bit of process to this. So we talked about before, you know, either in a session zero or in kind of a, a, a resetting of what you and your group are doing having that conversation, okay, do we all want to level this up? If everybody says, yeah, I want to level this up, having the conversation at the beginning of a session and saying, at the end of the session, I'm going to ask you to call out some things that other folks did role-playing wise that you liked. Hmm. So draw a little box, take notes as we go. Halfway through the session, be like, hey, just a reminder, at the end of the session, I'm going to ask you for things that you liked. At the end of that session, you should have some things as the DM or GM. You as the player should also have some things to say. Uh, and ideally, the, the reason I'm calling this out is a lot of folks are self-conscious. They do it and they get really into it. And then maybe the rest of that round, nobody else does it. And it's like, oh, God, did I do a bad job? 
is the reason nobody else is doing role playing because I just killed role playing. <laughs> uh, and and odds are no, like either you know they were too busy thinking about what they were about to do, and maybe you know maybe they weren't fully engaged, or they were fully engaged, and you intimidated them because you did such a good job. They were like, "Well, I'm not going to do the stupid thing I was going to do." <laughs> At the end of that session, when you call out, when every player kind of hears. I liked this, you know, this particular thing I did made you happy and you enjoyed it. That gives them the confidence next time to keep going. Yeah, everybody has what's called the spotlight effect. You always think that you're the center of attention and that when a thing happens or people respond a certain way that they are secretly judging you or, you know, something else. And they're like, oh, God, nobody responded to the cool thing I did. They all looked bored. Oh, I didn't do well. Like Randall said, it's most often not ha- have anything to do with you. A lot of times people are just kind of zoned out or in their <laughs> own heads. I know I am. Like when someone says something to me, I'm like, no, I should probably get milk at some point. I forgot <laughs> about that. Um, and they sometimes just yeah. miss it. So don't feel bad about yourselves and don't let that bring you down. At the end of the day, think of it as ways that you can learn more about yourself and your character. Uh, if you thought it was cool, then it was cool. <laughs> but the, the key thing I want to highlight here is though, closing that feedback loop is going to make everybody better at role-playing. So having Agreed. a mechanism built into your game, having a process everybody understands going in to provide that feedback loop is going to get you good results. And the reason I'm saying to explicitly call it out is at the end of the session, if you as the DM or GM or you as a single player at the table are like, I really liked when you did this and when you did this and when you did this. Everybody's like, oh, cool, bro. Session over. Because <laughs> you haven't set the expectation that other people should also be looking for these moments. So I do, I do think you... Yeah. I agree. In order to execute on this, get everybody prepped. I think this is a great idea of, you know, it allows players to do the pick the play of the game sort of thing to steal something. <laughs> and it yeah. makes people feel closer and more supportive of each other. And give them that meta yeah. currency. Give them that meta currency. <laughs> yeah, and... If you're looking for like if you're looking for that opportunity for yourself to like I'm going to try and make this like my moment to shine this session when you're in combat if you look around and you're like hang on guys I've got a really great plan like anytime you think that that is the perfect moment like our Icewind Dale campaign that ended somewhat recently me and me and Randall uh my character Skog like at, at some point we're having a fight in like some kind of smithy or something inside a fortress. And uh, there's this like trough of uh, burning coals in the middle of the room. And there were all the like Duergar everywhere. And at one point I'm like, Hey, I'm really good at grappling and that's fire. And this guy's not immune to that. So I just pick him up and I walk over and I throw him in the fire. I'm like, I could have described that a lot better. It could have been a lot cooler. The action was still pretty cool. Yeah. It worked really well, and I was very happy about that. But uh, description, not up to the task. So, yeah, moments like that, that that is the perfect opportunity to like add a little flair on there, make it feel good. And, like, I mean, yeah. there's also something to say, like, if that if that's cool for you guys, like if it works to just ha- describe matter of factually what you do and everybody seems to like that anyway, then shut this podcast off. You don't need this episode um, <laughs> that you guys have found out what works best for you. This is specifically for people who want to add a little bit more dynamic to their comic as they see that as eventually one of their players is just like tuning out on their phone or falling asleep or whatever. Um, so yeah, if your players are already engaged, great. You don't need any of this advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it never hurts to do it. So describing course. your action isn't the only way to engage in role-playing in combat. Um, you're also a group of adventurers sharing this experience in combat. So what do you do? You communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how, how many times have you been at a table and you're in a fight and things are getting tough and like it's somebody's turn and they're like, guys, I don't know what to do. And everybody huddles for like 20 minutes and figures out what one person is going to do with their turn. And you plan out the next like five characters turns and it never goes that way. So all that planning's wasted anyway. Like how many times have you been in that situation? So many times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have that conversation in character and then think like, okay, your characters are fighting for their lives in six second rounds. 
what are they reasonably going to say to the party to try and keep themselves alive? Like, okay, your character can get out a few words and it might just be like, hey, look out for that guy. Or, hey, what if we just threw them all out the window or something like that? Or, or like, you know, the wizard has a perfect spell for this that they haven't pulled out. And you're like, dude, fireball. It's, it's but, always fireball. Yeah. <laughs> always just fireball. fireball only, only fireball, fireball. just fireball <laughs> yeah i mean we, we were playing uh pathfinder the other day and the the setup for the combat where there were these creatures who were pretty consistently hiding which was then requiring the player characters to seek and so in that situation everybody kept doing the and i point out to everybody else they're over there I point out to everybody else they're over there. But this is a perfect example where you can say like, okay, you know, I, I, I jump on top of the, the pile of treasure and I begin looking and I discovered that they're at my feet. Uh, everyone, everyone, they're right here. Help! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. I got eaten by rats in that one, didn't yeah, I? I sure did. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Level one is fun. They were shadow rats. They were. <laughs> we, are, we already hit this one earlier in in the episode a bit but um there's no reason that bards need to have a monopoly on talking trash like vicious mockery is wonderful wonderful motivation to just say mean things to every npc and monster you encounter in the world but you don't need vicious monstery as an excuse you can just like you can just neg the monsters anyway did you say vicious monstery sure did bud <laughs> did did you i did. oh man I like that vicious monstery. <laughs> Is that like a hardcore summoner? I, I, <laughs> well, tell you what, I'm gonna build a summoner bard handbook, and we're gonna call it that. <laughs> Good. I feel like we nailed it. So another idea, you know, we talked about battle cries, smack talk. All of these are important. They do have history in the game. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Yes. So at least all the way back to third edition there was the demoralize action for intimidate and that has made its way into pf2 is like a one action thing you do in combat basically you make an intimidate check as some kind of action and whoever you intimidate if you intimidate them successfully get some status effect it's uh shaken in 3x it's frightened one in pf2 basically it's a minor fear effect that won't last very long but it's great if you can like uh, i'm gonna scare them real quick and then i'm gonna hit them with a something that requires a saving throw so like there has been mechanical support for this in the past and pf2 has both demoralized there's a feat called bone mo which is uh literally as an action you insult them they are flustered until they spend an action to insult you back and i love that feat i love that feat so much <laughs> so much fun um, <laughs> but you don't need feats for that like you can just do that yeah yeah, it's the George Costanza. Yeah, well, they ran out of you at the jerk store. <laughs> the uh, the know you of, uh, of uh, counter spells. Oh, George Costanza. <laughs> I'm losing to a bird. Oh, perfect. All right. Uh, this week, our question of the week comes to us from Anonymous. <laughs> yes, we have an on an on anonymous <laughs> an anonymous question this week yeah we've never had one of these before but it's a spicy question uh, like so, i 100 percent. yeah yeah <laughs> uh so the question is how do you deal with a game you don't love anymore and i i had to follow up on this one to get exactly what they meant basically say i'm in a group and the game just isn't working for me anymore and you know for any given reason how do i go about exiting the game i think it's a tough question um but I think the best way is honesty, to be honest. Uh, just approach people and say, hey, uh, this game isn't really working out for me anymore. Uh, I'm not getting from it what I hoped to be getting from it. I still want to do things with you guys or whatever. Like, if you still want to see these people again, uh, just say that and be like, I'm going to take a step away. Maybe I'll come back. Maybe I won't. Um but let me know if you know there's another game that you guys want to do or something like that. There's no, there's no perfect answer for how to get out of it. I mean, it's sort of like trying to get out of a an obligation that your friends expect you to go to that you don't really have an interest in. That's just called being friends. And if your friends <laughs> are 
good friends and they respect your feelings and your opinion, they will understand and let you go. If they make you feel bad about it or they try to force you to stay in, that's not a good group to be with. I'm sorry. Friends who actually care about you will let you do what you need to do for your own mental health and you shouldn't be forced to play a game that you're not having fun with. Everybody is a... Yeah, but Ash, you're the fifth person to drop out of this group in the past six months. <laughs> <laughs> then there's something wrong with the game that you're running, dude. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, uh, if your players are dropping like flies, that should probably tell you something. But anyway, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's hard and the, I know it sucks. But again, like if they're good friends, they'll understand you shouldn't have to. You're a player, too. It's your game, too. And you shouldn't be ha- you shouldn't be forced to play something that you don't want aren't having fun with. It's the same reason why like I hate it when people tell me stories about players refusing to let a character that someone is no longer having fun with go, like either retire or die. They're just like, no, we love this character and you need to stay because we love it and it's necessary. That's not fun. You may you may be you may be having fun, but if that person is not enjoying that player, uh, enjoying that character, uh, then they're going to make the whole game worse for everybody because it just fuels resentment. Yeah, I think this question has so many facets to it that I think I want to try to run through a, a couple different things. So, let's say it's the people. You know, you you maybe you didn't know these people very well when you joined up for the game, but you signed up for it. You played for a little bit and you've just kind of come to the terms like we we don't jive. I feel like at that point, maybe giving a reason isn't the best idea, but just say, like, I have a conflict or, you know, I'm deciding to prioritize other things. You know, work's getting crazy. I think most folks understand that um, and, and get out of it. If if this is people you know well, and it really isn't the people, but it is the game, uh, whether it's the way the game's being played, there isn't enough role play. There's too much role play, and you don't like that pressure. Maybe you don't love the game. Like you were, you know, when you started, there was this idea that, like, oh yeah, you do 5e for a little bit and you'd switch to Pathfinder 2, or you would try a different game. And it's like, no, we're gonna do 5e forever. We've decided we love it. Okay, well, then I'm not getting what I want. I really do want to get Pathfinder 2, and I don't have time for multiple games. So I, I you know, I I'm going to prioritize this. So I'm gonna go try to put this together. I think that could be an honest conversation. If the game is almost what you want, I do think the social fix is worth trying first. Of course. You know, talking about what can we do, but I'm assuming from the way this question is phrased that probably most of these social fix type things have already been tried. Uh, in which case, yeah, just saying uh, this isn't going to work. Towards that point, if it, if it can be amicable, especially if this is a group that you want to maintain a relationship with, maybe, you know, working with the DM or GM to say like, hey, can we wrap an arc? Um, I am going to step away from this game. It's okay with me if you want to kill my character or give my character a meaningful reason to just step away um, and make it impactful for everybody else. Make it be a little bit of fun. So you do, you get murdered by the BBG and, you know, the rest of the campaign for them is about avenging you. Uh, and, you know, you'll you'll send them a letter when they do, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like getting out of uh, any sort of relationship. It's going to be hard and it's going to suck and hurt maybe. But if it's not a toxic relationship, then it will most likely end amicably. And, you know, you can play with those people again if that's what's something you want to do. If it's just, Like Randall said, if it's just a game that's not working for you, explain that to people. Um, be honest with people. Don't try to especially if they're your good friends, like saying to people you don't know, hey, uh, work is bad and I don't want to do this anymore. You're never going to see those people again, so what difference does it make? But if it's like a close group of friends, be honest. Don't lie. Don't say work is bad when that's not the problem because they're going to be asking, like, say you change jobs, they're going to be like, oh, is work still bad? Do you want to come back and play? I think this job's going to be even worse. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Or if they find out you're playing another game, they'll be like, you're cheating on us with another game and I thought you as a work was too bad. So just, just save yourself some problems down the road be honest with people if they're good friends they'll understand well and and i do want to actually i want to hear you folks opinion on it do you think it is worth like let's say you've been playing a campaign for 18 months and you've come to the conclusion it's just not working for you anymore is it worth sticking around for a month or two to give the character a good ending or do you really think once you have that conclusion just next session be like guys i'm out yeah i'd say it depends it does yeah uh, yeah how bad is like how bad are the problems? Yeah, like there, that's fair. there may be situations where like you go home from a game, you're like, I need to never go back to that and just like just 
make that communication right then. Just, I need to not be in this game for whatever reason. Here's why. Maybe I will or won't come back, but you guys are free to do whatever you need with my character. Like, if you are deeply invested in your character, presumably there's something good enough about that game that you're, you know, still willing to stick around. But yeah, maybe you're in that bad situation. Like, I really like my character. This game has gone real bad. I don't think anyone would judge you if you like played that character again in a future campaign, if that's your style. Yeah, of course. Uh, I've played characters multiple times. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there are, I am told, there are people who don't just print like 20 character sheets a day. Like, I don't know any of them. <laughs> I don't like them. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, man, love your characters. Like, it's okay to replay them in other people's campaigns. Like, you might warn people about that going into session zero. Like, hey, I played this character for a while and they never had a satisfying conclusion. So I'm going to try and retread that a bit. And that's perfectly fine. All right. All hail the leisure Illuminati. I'm Randall James. You'll find me at amateurjack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Campstill. You'll find me at rpgbot.net, Facebook and Twitter, rpgbot.net, and, and basically everywhere else, rpgbot. And I'm Ash Eli. You can find me on Twitter at Graven Ashes for now. Uh, and I'm also on startplaying.games. So come on over if you want to know more about what I do or just follow me on Twitter to get updates on when I'm running my games. I can imagine like three years from now, somebody's going to listen. It's like, what is this Twitter thing they keep talking about? I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I, I, I don't really want to move to Mastodon. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> let's, let's just cross your fingers <laughs> yeah if you've enjoyed the show please rate and review us on apple podcast and rate us on spotify or your favorite podcast app it's a quick free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners you'll find links in the show notes you'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes as well as on rpgbot.net following these links helps us to make the show happen every week if your question should be the question of the week next week please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.content, content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. Hey, I'm quitting. You cannot use my character for anything. <laughs>